my kind of drive as a human is in learning to make something better. And I think that's always been a part of me. Um, but I didn't necessarily see that um, in this business that I created from day one. I think ice cream is this like canvas and yeah. you throw things on it and see what sticks and what tastes good. My husband and I, we don't always get to take a challenge trip together, but we've taken that philosophy into our personal lives and what are the hard things that we can put in front of us and do that make us a better person and a better leader. You are listening to Fort Worth Food Stories, brought to you by the Culinary School of Fort Worth. All right, welcome to Fort Worth Food Stories. I'm your host, James Cringe. I am joined today by founder and owner of Mel Ice Creams, Carrie Crow Sayer. Carrie, thank you so much for coming on today. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about this interview because pretty much everyone that I've had on, every guest I've had on has been like, you got to talk to Carrie, you got to talk to <laughs> Carrie. So I'm glad we can finally make it work. Um, but you have such a fascinating journey as, as a, a businesswoman and, and as a business as a whole. Um, and I want to kind of walk through it step by step. But first, I do want to congratulate you. Um, you did open up uh, your location in Dallas this year in the Bishop's Arts uh, District. How's that going so far? It's going great. And then about eight weeks ago, we opened up our Sundance location. So I know, which is, is amazing. We've been well. busy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was actually just at your Sundance location oh, the other wonderful. day. Yeah, my family's in town and wanted to go. And um, it's, it's awesome that you guys are popping up all over the place. Um, have you felt kind of split and not as much hands-on anymore that you have a spot in Dallas and a spot in Fort Worth? Um, I would say we're still 100% hands-on. Um, it just looks different. And okay. so building a team of people that we trust and building a culture of kind of our vision and what we want to create with our company has has definitely enhanced that. Um, but my ability to be in all locations at all times isn't possible. Yeah. Um, but we've got a really great team of people who are living on our mission and living on our culture. And so my role has just changed and transformed as we've opened more locations. What have you seen from a customer perspective? Um, are your customers the same in Dallas as they are in Magnolia as they are in Sundance Square? Or are you getting all different kinds of customers? Yeah, that's a great question. We um, in, in Fort Worth, we really created this space that we felt like was missing in Fort Worth. And um, those customers are um, really run the gamut of families and friends and celebrations. And um, we really wanted to seek out a neighborhood, much like the neighborhood that we're in here in Fort Worth, uh, in the Fairmount District of um, just having um, neighborhood camaraderie behind us and um, what does that look like and having restaurants that um, we feel at home with and um, that aren't chains but are owned by real people yeah. local mom-and-pop shops um, so to say that are doing really creative and innovative things and so we sought that out and looking for that second location in Bishop Arts and looking for a neighborhood that felt right and, and um, felt very similar to what we had in Fort Worth to give Dallas that same experience mm -hmm. that we have here and then with Sundance, it is a different clientele. Um, I think what the kind of new vision for Sundance is, is really creating a, a place that inspires visitors and tourists to experience a taste of Fort Worth. And so I think us being able to be a part of that team of tenants in Sundance Square is is letting those um, new faces, um, we get to meet people from all over the world that come um, to Sundance Square. And they may not leave Sundance Square when they come, but when they're there, they get to taste a little bit of the hospitality that Fort Worth is known for. And so I think us being there gets to just be a part of that story. 
Yeah, and one of the things I'm always curious about when, when people do open their own businesses um, is what your expectations are going in. So, like for me, I start this podcast. I was hoping to have a few listeners and, and just kind of create a culture and community in Fort Worth and a connection. Um, and we've been lucky to have more listeners and, and whatever than, than I even expected. For you, when you opened up your first location, was it, man, I hope that this goes well, or did you always have this vision of growing? So when we opened that first location, I, I will definitely say that my thinking was really small-minded, and my idea was I wanted um, a change in my career, and um, I would say that it was pretty selfish. It was I wanted to do this thing, but I also saw this need in the community. Yeah. I wanted to create this job that I wanted to have, and very quickly um, learned that it was something that other people wanted, and, and it was for other people. And um, you know, two weeks after we opened, um, we went from two employees to nine employees. We hired seven more people, and um, and really understanding um, that on this journey, things are going to change and ebb and flow. Um, but I think that my kind of drive as a human is in learning to make something better. And I think that's always been a part of me. Um, but I didn't necessarily see that um, in this business that I created from day one. I think the experiences that I've had in the last um, almost six years have lended itself to think bigger and dream bigger and um, kind of knock down the walls of possibility in order to grow this business and the culture the way that we want to with the team that we have. So, you know, we look at where you are now, and, and I do want to talk about where you were. And, and even before you opened, um, you were traveling around the South, going to these small mom and pop ice cream shops. Uh, you did an internship in Ohio uh, for a week. Um, why were these experiences important for you? And, and what did you learn from them that ended up helping you open up uh, your first mountain location? So when I... Um when I knew I wanted a career change, I was a photographer and a photojournalist for a number of years and I'd owned my own business. I owned um, a boutique photography business and um, really loved what I did, um, but I didn't see myself doing something in that arena long term and um, really got excited um, for some of the freelance assignments that I was getting in Fort Worth of photographing chefs and restaurant tours and um, kind of fell in love with the hospitality world in general. and. When I knew that I wanted to change my career, I kind of wrote a few different business plans and was really thinking about what long-term um, were needs in the world and were needs in my life that I wanted to fill. And I kept coming back to ice cream. And so when I set out on the ice cream journey of um, driving around the South, it was really at, um, at the encouragement of my husband of like, go and see, go and experience. Um, I wanted to understand um, what employees were thinking that were behind the counter? What were their motivations for working there? What did they see on an everyday um, experience in an ice cream shop? Yeah. What were the best parts about it? What were the worst parts about it? Um, how could I analyze this from a holistic perspective of, of, of how to create our journey and our brand with our ice cream shop? And so really that journey around the South was um, just to really um, get me more exposure to what ice cream shops were doing in the South. Yeah, and one of the great things I think about doing something like that is um, you do learn from all these different people and, and all over the country and you pull all these great ideas and, and you have this awesome, awesome concept, but then you run into the roadblock of that initial funding and trying to get started. How discouraging was it for you that you did strike out with a lot of banks and a lot, you know, trying to get that funding and, and how do you persevere through that? 
Yeah, I think my personality lends itself to um, if somebody says no, um, I don't take that as um, a, a no, this isn't going to happen for me, but it's a, it's a no for you. Yeah. Um, and so to me, that no is just a driver of, of who else, how else, what else, how can we tackle this problem? I, I think I, I look at problems as... Um, opportunities and so um, yeah a number of bankers turned me down and said you're crazy you have no experience um, in the food industry why would we give you money and banks are in the business of protecting risk you know and at the time I didn't really realize that but uh, upon reflection um, that's what banks that's their job is they protect risk and so it was risky Um, I didn't have experience I just had grit and a drive to to do this thing. And so, um, it, it was discouraging, but I think it was the best thing that could have happened because it, within, you know, a few weeks we were, um, operating on these really thin, um, budgets, but yeah. we're profitable right away. And, yeah. And yeah. you were doing like trade swaps and stuff. Yeah. Like that, right? I mean, we did some wild things like when you don't have any money, um, you have to get creative. And, um, our, our first location for those that didn't experience was on Rosedale and it was next to an auto mechanic shop and next to a kind of a convenience store and it had five parking spots and um, it had previously been um, a kind of homemade coffee shop and so we took um, that homemade coffee shop and turned it into this teeny little bright ice cream parlor and in order to pull that off we had to um, watch YouTube videos on how to patch sheetrock and um, there were a few friends that were really good at construction that we were able to um, buy beer and pizza for and um, my neighbors hired a babysitter just so they could come and help us paint our shop and so we did a lot of bartering and trading and um, a lot of people kind of lent themselves to be a part of that experience and uh, um, take them and I think it gave them a sense of pride when we opened that they got to be a part of that building yeah and I, I just think that's really admirable to jump into something and, and not spend this money that you don't have and not go you know kind of push yourself too far out there that you're going to then sink your business before it even begins I, I think that's really great but on the flip side of that how did you even drum up a customer base when you're probably not spending any money on marketing um, and you're running out of a cash box essentially to yeah. start? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I think most businesses, um, you know, there's a few things that make them really successful. And one of those things I think is luck. Um, yeah. And I think for us, um, what I did have is my experience in the journalism world. And so I was able to um just kind of create a little bit of excitement with um, my peers in the journalism world that, and they were really, I'm really grateful to this day that they came alongside us and um, pushed that news out into the world. And um, so that kind of gave us an automatic, um, just positioning that they were willing to talk about us and believe in us, even though we had no proof of concept. Um, And then I think, um, you know, what we created was something the community wanted. And yeah. I think that's, you know, that's how we got that customer base. They showed up because they wanted this product. Texas is incredibly hot. I mean, we sell yeah. a really simple product. We sell ice cream. 
Um, and ice cream is something that makes most people happy. And for a city of our size not to have a local ice cream shop was kind of a shame. And so I think we, we did something that everybody wanted. And so that just kind of created this community around our brand. Yeah, I, I moved out here in 2013, uh, went to TCU and then ended up staying on uh, for this job. But I'm from New Jersey and within a square or you know the radius of a mile you could find an ice cream shop pretty much wherever you're standing and that was one thing I, I could never understand was why there weren't more ice cream shops out here um, and, and why people wouldn't find that to be something successful did you feel like you were really lucky that this was a hole in the market to to find ice cream I, I just it seems like crazy that that it was a hole in the market you know it, it wasn't that I felt really lucky at the time it was just that we would, my husband and I would walk in our neighborhood every day and we would say, I wish we could walk somewhere to get ice cream, yeah. you know? And so it was like, we were solving a problem for ourselves and we happened <laughs> to be solving that problem for a lot of other people too. And, and why did you decide to go with these unique flavors as opposed to your basic chocolate chip cookie dough or chocolate mint chip, stuff like that? Um, did, were you trying to build a unique brand or is that just what you enjoy to eat? Yeah, I think I, I we were trying to, to do a few things. We were trying to build a unique brand. We were trying to um, create something that was um, interesting. Um, we have our classic flavors and then we have rotating flavors and um, that gives us an opportunity to be creative and I think ice cream is this blank canvas and yeah. you throw things on it and see what sticks and what tastes good and what's fun and funky and um, you know your customers are your guinea pigs and they tell you what they like they vote with their dollars what they do and they don't like and so I think it's just this kind of really fun experiment to see yeah. what people are enjoying and what they're not um, and now we have this whole team of creatives that get to do that and come up with these flavors and um, bring ideas to the table of, of what they want to see on our menu and what they think customers will like so you're always bouncing off ideas with your team and um, how, how many people are kind of in your inner circle that you'll pull flavors from? Oh, well, um, we have a whole culinary team now. So we have a head of our kitchen. Um, we have, our kitchen's called the Joy Factory. It's this 3,000 square foot ice cream kitchen yeah. and um, our, our, our kitchen, um, we call them our ice cream magicians um, because they really are like, they're making this magic that unfolds in our shop every day where people are celebrating these moments. And so um, there is probably um, eight people in our kitchen and our, our chef comes up with most of the flavors, but she works with that team and they get to bring their ideas to her and kind of, um, she will, will test and um, we'll all get to get around a table and taste those ice creams and decide like maybe that needs a little more salt or maybe this would be best in this month or um, I don't know what our customers will think of this but maybe we should try it anyways. Yeah. I just spoke to uh, Michael Harper from Funky Picnic Brewery, and I was listening to him talk about brewing beer and trying all these beers. I'm like, man, that's the greatest job in the world. And now I'm listening to you talk about ice creams. So I'm like, that's the greatest job in the world. That's that's we, cool. We say we get to work in a Willy Wonka factory, and <laughs> yeah. I really believe it's true. Every day is is this new day of fun, creative um, ice cream. Yeah, it's it really it sounds amazing. Um, so you had mentioned this, but you went from two employees when you opened. Two weeks later, you're at nine employees. Obviously, you outgrew Rosedale really quickly. Um, and then you ended up moving to Magnolia. But this is something you were hesitant about at first, I know. Uh, why were you hesitant? And, and do you look back and kind of laugh at yourself for being hesitant when you see the success you've had now? Yeah, I think my hesitation stemmed from um, just the fear of the unknown um, and 
just changed in general. I mean, I think a business um, moving less than two years in, I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. You're building a brand and you're building like um, this location and this remembrance of this location. And um, I don't, if, if somebody came to me today and asked if they should pick up their location and move it, I would probably tell them no. Yeah. And so, um, to me, it just seemed a little wild, but we were also in this crux of like, we can't produce, produce enough product where we are for our customers. And so it was really my husband that pushed and said, like, I really believe this is what's right for us and our business. And, um, I do look back and laugh because that it was the street we wanted to be on and uh, we, we always wanted to be on Magnolia and there just wasn't the opportunity right when we started and yeah. so we're really proud of the shop that we were able to build out and I'm I'm really glad that we moved. And I think what's cool about your spot is that you've become kind of a community staple. You're more than it, it's not I, I don't know how to say this without coming across super cheesy but it's not like just go to the ice cream shop it's you know you're you're a part of the community. When people talk about Fort Worth you're one of the spots that that people talk about. Did you ever have any concern when you were moving, or opening a new spot in Sundance, opening in Dallas, and, and hopefully opening more locations in the future? Do you ever have a concern that you're going to lose that community feel? Absolutely. I think that's um, a big challenge for um, restaurants in general as they grow. Like, how do you maintain, what is the thing that makes you the most special, and how do you maintain that and, and, and hold on to the integrity of that? And I think that's still something that we're, trying to work through like is it um is it a process or is it the people that we hire or is it um something that we do on the management side um and I think that is definitely always a concern but I think so much of it is is about the people that are a part of that experience Mm -hmm. and how do they create that experience um as we we move to different locations yeah I mean what's your what's your training process like for your new employees because my Probably my favorite part about the shop, besides just the ice cream, is you walk into a smile. Uh, everyone's happy, or at least pretends to be happy that you're there, and uh, they greet you and they offer you samples. And you know how rigorous is that training to get people like that? Yeah, I think we, I think anybody can learn to scoop ice cream, yeah. <laughs> um, but we try to hire for people that are absolutely friendly and and happy in demeanor. Um, but then we, we have a very specific training process that we pulled straight from Zingerman's. Um, it's called a passport, and we really empower people to learn these very specific things. Um, we have over 50 employees, and I teach orientation every other week to any new hires. So they come in um, to the Joy Factory, and we get to give them a tour, and then we tell them just kind of what my expectations as an owner is, and that I don't get to be there every day, but this is the impact that they get to make on the community, and, and this is how we expect them to treat their job. And um, we get to tell them the story of how we started, and um, how far we've come, and what what we want to see from them as a person and how we are excited that they are on this journey with us. And I I mean, it really, honestly, it really does show. Um, And and that extra time and effort and care, I I think is is really neat. And they do put that time into it. I think most people listening to this probably know about how great your ice cream is, how friendly your staff is, how much of a staple in in Fort Worth you guys are. Uh, What they might not know is is that you also put a lot of time and effort into charity work and and helping out other entrepreneurs as well. Uh, Why are those two ventures so important to you? Um, I think charity work is is kind of a a natural... My husband and I both worked um, with different nonprofits in different formats um, early in our marriage and knew that was something that we really 
cared about and I think that it's our responsibility to care about others yeah. and I think it's one of the great responsibilities of a business and I think anytime that you are um, in a leadership position like there is an even bigger responsibility that you take care of the people um, that are closest to you but after taking care of those people that you extend your arms and you take care of more people and um, and what does that look like and, and, and maybe you can't do it for everybody but how can you do it for certain people really really well and so for us when, when we start melt and the reason that we're called melt and our name is melt is that I met this gentleman I knew that we wanted to have some kind of way tangible way to give back to our community um, and I met this gentleman on that road trip when I was traveling around the south and I asked him you know what keeps you at this ice cream shop managing this ice cream shop and he said you know people walk in my door and they have um, the weight of a test on their shoulders, the weight of a mortgage, or maybe a sick family member, or maybe they just lost their job. And um, he said, and when I scoop in the ice cream cone and I hand it over the counter to them, I get just for a moment to watch the weight of the world melt off their shoulders. And huh. I thought, that's it. I want us to be called Melt. Not yeah. because ice cream melts, but because if we can be this beacon of light, this little hope in somebody's day, this five minutes of happiness if we can be the best five minutes of their day then maybe they can take that best five minutes and go out to their community and spread that five minutes and spread that happiness and so um, it's kind of the reason that we created our mission statement we believe that treats can change your day and your day can change the world and as maybe as cheesy as some people think that is it really boils down to like if you have a great memorable experience and maybe we don't get it right all the time and we yeah. don't get it perfect all the time we're still human we're still people but if you have this great five minutes if you have this great interaction um then i think you it, it carries a certain energy and it it, it impacts you and um, we've we've seen that play out in a number of different ways and i i believe that's um what we're trying to create and i believe that's our responsibility to the community and then with nonprofit work i think you know, I don't want, there's no reason to build a business just for the sake of making money. And that was never our um, goal. And it's still not our goal. It's not to see how much money we can make or um, it's to, to build this team of leaders and it's to build great jobs for great people. And um, it's to see how big our impact can be on the community. And so for us, working with a nonprofit is a no-brainer. So every year we choose a different nonprofit, or at least that's the way we've done it for the last five years. Um, in the beginning, we just chose a nonprofit, and we would write a check to that nonprofit. And what I realized in that is that I, if I'm writing a check to a nonprofit, then that makes me feel good at the end of the day, but it doesn't really do anything for my employees. And as a leader and as a business owner, like my responsibility is to do right by my employees. And so our goal is to teach them what the needs are of our community. So if we choose a nonprofit that's in our community that they get to go and learn about and be a part of and tell a story of because it's part of our experience at our shop, then they're learning about the needs of our world as well. Yeah, I, that is so cool. I mean, I can't even ask a follow-up. I think you, you pretty much covered everything there. That's that's awesome. Um, so I do want to pivot and, and talk about uh, you for a minute uh, to kind of start to wrap this up. Um, I can't have you on here and, and not spend some time talking about uh, your running. Uh, so you did the, uh, is it the Leadville Trail 100 uh, Ultra Marathon? 
Um, which <laughs> I was thinking about this and I was doing some research about this. I'm like, man, we probably need to do a whole nother episode just talking <laughs> about this race. Uh, but just thinking about it, I, I run almost every day and, and the thought of doing a hundred miles, you know, I, I don't want any part of that. Um, what made you want to do that? Yeah, I think, you know, a few years ago, my husband told me about an article that was written, um, called the exercise one day a year plan. And it was a study that was written about, um, I think it was a Harvard, uh, sports psychologist wrote this study and, um, it's essentially this group of people and maybe they're um, a race car driver or Kyle Korver is one of the, the people that participated in this and they show up to um, a location. Um, so one of them was in California and they have a coach that takes them to do something they've never done before and they, okay. they can't prepare for it and they don't know what it is. And um, so maybe it's paddle boarding to an island. Maybe the island's 25 miles away and like they've never paddle boarded before and 25 miles is a really long time and maybe in the first mile your your hands are bleeding because you haven't trained for it. Uh, but essentially the crux of the article was that if you do the hardest thing you could possibly do in one day, then the rest of the year you reflect on how hard that was. And, yeah. um, and those athletes talk about how that impacted them. And so that that article uh, really impacted my husband and I, and we don't always get to take a challenge trip together, but we've taken that philosophy into our personal lives and what are the hard things that we can put in front of us and do that make us a better person and a better leader um, for the people around us. And so for me, um, I signed up for, for Leadville and I signed up for the lottery, not knowing if I could even get in. Yeah. And it was, I had read about it in a book called Born to Run. And, um, at the time, it was one of the hardest races in the world and um, and had no idea if I had the ability or the skill set to do something like that. I have not run a bunch of road marathons. I had run, at the time that I signed up, I'd only run two. Um, and so I, um, I just broke it up and I trained for it. Um, I hired a coach to make me a training plan and I trained as much as I could according to what she told me, but really I didn't on race day um, you start at 4 a.m. and the way that Leadville's described it starts at 10,000 feet so the air is really thin and um, yeah it's in Denver right it's outside of Denver outside so it's higher Denver. than Denver um it's described as running the Boston Marathon um four times <laughs> twice backwards with a sock shoved <laughs> in your mouth um and maybe blindfolded and, and this is what you chose to do this is what I chose to do and you know really didn't know if I could accomplish it or not and really only accomplish it by the, the like the skin of my teeth I mean I barely made it across the finish line in time that it took me almost 30 hours and um but learned a whole lot from it yeah. and um really learned a lot about myself learned a lot about um just others and you know it really taught me that there's nothing that you can't do um, there's nothing that if you can't if you if you you discipline yourself and you train for then you can accomplish anything you set out for yourself. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna ask this question because my my dad's a big runner and I know he listens to the podcast. So shout out to my dad on this one. Um, but I know when he was training for a marathon, uh, he was maxing out at maybe 20 21 miles um, was probably his longest run because you don't do the full 26.2 whatever. 
when you're training for 100 miles, it's not like you can just go out and spend a 24 hours, right, doing 70 miles or something like that. Um, what, where are you maxing out on on the training, and then how do you even train for altitude like that? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, really what I learned is it's about um, time on your feet. And so working your way up to a 100-mile week, um, you're kind of putting that same stress on your body that you would in the – you know, 24 hours, 30 hours that you would take to run a hundred mile race. And so those long runs for me would be time-based. That's the way that my coach kind of created my training plan. So I think my longest run was nine hours and we, you know, started at 9 PM and finished the next day sometime. And a lot of my, those long training runs, I would either break up and have different people run different legs with me, or I would sign up for a 50 mile race or a 50 K and then, um, you know, if I did 30 miles on a Saturday, my coach would have me hike for three hours on a Sunday. So you're putting this stress and mm-hmm. strain on your body to kind of replicate what it would go through on race day. Okay. Um, and then for altitude, um, a lot of people have a lot of different approaches. Um, there's kind of two schools of thought. One is you fly to altitude within 24 hours of the race so that your body doesn't have time to feel the effects of altitude until you're well into the race. Mm-hmm. Um, I've tried both approaches. Um, and the other approach is we live in Texas. It's crazy hot. Um, you can simulate the same kind of stress on your body that altitude would put on your body if you run at the hottest part of the day. And so... It, my race, that race particular was in um, August, and so I would run at the hottest part of the day in July for like the seven days before that race. Um, but that race particularly, I went up um, a few weeks and acclimated. This last year, I did a 64-mile race in Colorado, and I didn't have the time to go up and acclimate, and so we just... We, we did the first school of thought and we flew up, you know, within yeah. 24 hours of the race. Interesting. So do you think you'll ever do 100 again? Oh, absolutely. Not that one. There's other races. Um, I yeah. think the, the beauty of those races are you get to see so much of the world on foot that you mm-hmm. wouldn't normally see in a day. And so um, there's other more beautiful spots in the world that I want. Um, I have other goals and things like that that I yeah. want to check off the list. So, that's cool. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> it's, it's totally different. But that's how I feel about skydiving. It's like... You know, I don't want to just go skydive in the same places that I, you know, I want to go do it all over the world. So yeah. uh, seeing it from high up, but I, I can only imagine how beautiful it must be seeing it on foot in a way that you really don't get to experience otherwise. Uh, so I think that's awesome. I want to tell everyone that they should go read the article that you wrote for the James Beard Foundation. Um, as you related to the race to, to business, I thought it was really great and it goes way more in depth than, than we have time to do um, on the podcast. But I'll put it in the description for the show um, or you can just search Carrie Crow uh, Sayer, um, James Beard Foundation. You'll find it real easy. Um, so the last thing I just want to say, um, thank you again for, for coming on today. Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm really glad we, we found time to make this work. Um, will you just let everyone know where they can find your stores and follow you on social media and, and all that stuff, whatever you want to promote right here. Yeah, we have three stores, one in Magnolia, one in Sundance Square, and then one in Bishop Arts. We share a wall with Eno's and Bishop Arts, our favorite pizza place there. Um, we're on, on Instagram at Meld Ice Creams. Um, and then I'm uh, on Instagram at Carrie Crow. Okay, cool. Well, Carrie, thank you again so much for coming on. Thank you. That episode was brought to you by the Culinary School of Fort Worth. Located on Camp Bowie Boulevard, the Culinary School of Fort Worth is helping future chefs pursue their dreams every single day. 
You can reach out for more information or to schedule a tour on their website at csftw.edu. That's csftw.edu. Or you can reach them by phone at 817-737-8427. That's 817-737-8427.